Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put it, put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Before we go any further, before we hear from each other and speak to each other, let's speak to God first. Heavenly Father, we, as we just sang, God, it is no lie. We need you and we need you every hour. And so we come to you and to your word and we ask that you would have your word come alive in our hearts, God. We can be so distracted, we can be cold, God, we can be so distant from you as we wallow in our sin that we love and delight. But God, in this time, through your word, through your spirit, draw us to you and let us behold the beauty of your son in a way that we have never seen before, God. We ask all of these things and pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. One of the funnest things to do while you're living in Hawaii, as Rachel and I did for several years, is to go out along the coast, find a cliff, and jump into the ocean. And there was this one place we were living on the big island uh, near Kona, and you go south of Kona a little bit, and you hike a little off the freeway, and there's this perfect place to go cliff jumping. And actually, it wasn't that high. It was maybe 35, 40 feet. But the catch is... The timing. So it wasn't just uh, flat, but it was this little alcove that would come in and all of the water from from quite some distance would be funneled in and would come hitting and crashing and crashing against those rocks. So the exhilarating part is timing, timing, timing. The water would come in and go crashing against those rocks. So if you jump in while the water is low and the wave is coming, what's going to happen to you? You're going to get crashed against those rocks. And then to make it a little more complicated, there's a little cave underneath. So if you go in and you get shoved into that cave, good luck. Good luck. But if you time it well, you jump, the water crashes below you while you're in the air, you hit the water, and then the wave carries you back out. So... The more exhilarating you want it to be, the closer to the cave you get. And you put your toes on the edge of the rock, and you watch. Crash out. Crash out. Crash and out. And then when your heart is just pounding and pounding, you jump. And that which wasn't there when you jumped 
It comes in, the wave comes in, crashes below you, and then it carries you off into safety. You're in the water, you're torn around, you find light, swim towards that, swim to the edge of the cliff and climb up. This is the Christian life that this poor widow is inviting us into. The type of Christian life where you don't just stand back, but the type of Christian life where you go up, you put your toes in the edge of the rock, and your heart is pounding, and you jump in. This is what the widow does as she's standing before this offering box. She has two pennies in her hand. That's all she has. And you begin to wonder, what will she do? Will she jump? What would you do? So the main idea that we're going to be focusing in here is for us to see our finances... But not just our finances, so let's be honest, our finances, as we were talking about uh, earlier, our finances are just a tally of our affections. So not just your finances, but, but your whole life then, implicitly. Live your whole life with a kingdom focus. So how are we going to see this? Well, we're going to see in verse 41, we're going to see the eyes of the world. What does the world see? It's so clear to them, but uh, they're missing something, aren't they? And what are we missing when we have these blinders on? So that's the first point we're going to be talking about is, is seeing through the eyes of the world. But then we're going to follow that up through the rest of the verses 42 through 44. And then we're going to be talking about the eyes of faith. What does it look like when I begin to see the world around me through these eyes of faith? Well, just a little bit. People who have nothing in common with They're my brothers. They're my sisters. That's something. I see that the humble are not actually humbled, but the humble will be exalted in the day of Christ. So what does it look then for my finances as I seek to place all things under the headship of Jesus Christ? As many of you know, we're in this series about being rooted, being rooted in the city. And being rooted in the city, it takes on several different images when we look at it. And one is that we're going to be, to be rooted in this transient city that has people coming in and people out all the time. It looks like we serve those around us. Is something to be rooted in this city. And being rooted in our city is that we actually love our city. We don't just exist here. But we realize that God in His sovereign plan has anointed us, ordained us, to live in this particular city at this particular time. And so with missionary zeal then, we go forth into this calling to where God has placed us. Another way of being rooted in this city is that we... Engage this city. All of the good, all of the bad, all of the ugly. All of it. We engage this city. We do it in such a way that... So when the kingdom of God comes down, obviously, yes, it transforms His people. The people of God, it transforms them. But when the kingdom of God truly comes down, 
As Christ has said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the kingdom of heaven comes down, it not, tra- not only transforms us, but it transforms the cities and the places in which we live as well. So if redemption was somehow plucked out of the city, there would be a vacuum of service, of love, of fellowship, even amongst the non-believers in this city, that they would recognize. That's what it looks like to be rooted in this city. And one of the most pragmatic ways of doing this is having a building. So that we're able to communicate, even without spoken word, that we're able to communicate that we are with you and that we are in this city and we are here and we are here for your good. So let's go to the text a little bit. Before we go to this, actually go up a couple verses. Go up a couple verses. Let's put this whole thing in context of what's going on. There's a couple different scenes here, actually. Um, when we approach these verses, you, you see the, je- the widow, she's generously giving her, uh, her, her two little mites there. And the story is so compelling and it's so simple that you just want to take it right at that. And the sermon just kind of writes itself, doesn't it? You know, don't you see this poor widow? She was not only a widow, but she was poor. And she had two mites. And do you know what she gave? She gave all of them. Uh, I'm sure you guys have more than two mites. Thus and therefore, you should be giving all that you have. Oh, and wouldn't you know it? We have a building campaign going on, right? So... Believe me, that's, it's, it's easy. And, and you think like that's just the, the natural way to go with this text. But there's so much more going on. See, Christ is nearing the end of his ministry. He's had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's in the last week. Now, the book of Mark is, is slowing down. He's in these last days, these last hours, this last week. And he's in the temple courts. And he's teaching in this temple courts where, uh, where this poor widow would have been. So then look at verse 35 here. And Jesus taught in the temple and he, and he said, how can the scribes say that Jesus is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under my feet. Psalm 110. Verse 37. David calls himself Lord, so how is he his son? In the great throng, the great crowd, they heard him gladly. It's quite a riddle here, and there's only one answer. That David's Lord is also David's son. So what's going on here, it's not just a poor widow in her might. What's going on here in the context is that this is about the gospel going forth, and this is kingdom language of a king and his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. And so then he tells, okay, in light of this kingdom, he begins to teach them. What does it not look like to live in this kingdom? Well, the temple, well, unfortunately, the church is a good place to look. So what does he say? Verse 38. And he began teaching them and he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in their long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. Here's what they actually do though. Verse 40. They devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, 
They make long prayers. And they will receive the greater condemnation. See, remember, our kingdom is not of this world. And so the things that we think are important with our earthly eyes are actually not that important. So you can see it, like, dude, look at, look at this, look at this Pharisee. It's important. He's got this long robe. He must, it sounds foolish when we say that, but what if we just pull out the word robe and put in scrubs? Oh! Wow! He's got those scrubs on. Oh! Look at all those letters after his name. Oh! He's published. How about that? Or look at that suit. He must be crushing it. He's doing pretty good. Or, did you see that diaper bag that mom was carrying? Like, I think a live animal actually died to make that diaper bag. Now there is a fine lady of virtue whom I must be like. So you think it's foolish, right? But we did the same thing. And then not only do they look the part, but then they sound the part as well with their long prayers, their sermons that go on and on and on, even when their kids are anxious. And they just keep talking and talking. Don't you hate it? But they have their temporary deposit. And they will have their temporary reward of this world. And now Christ is saying, that it doesn't have to be that way. It can be another way. And then he turns them. Let's go to our verses here. And he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the people putting in money into the offering pot, the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Now, on the outset, you have to realize the wealthy are not being uh, belittled here at all. Uh, but let's put it in context. In, in the realm of world history, if you have more than five days of food in your house and you have clean water, you're wealthy. Okay? Let's just put all of this in context of where you're at. So what's generally recognized in this text here is that when the wealthy are giving... Uh, they're giving generously and from a, a pure motivation, just as those who have lower, less means by God's providence. But when the genera- when the generosity is moving through the wealthy people, what they're typically giving is from the outer fringes. And it doesn't really affect, so the text is saying, it doesn't really affect the core of who they are. The lights, the water, the electricity is still going to be flowing. But this is the difficulty of, of poverty, is that you're, you're the core of who, of who you are and the core of your necessities, there's such a little buffer between what you have and what you absolutely need. And so when they give, they, they give and it gets right up into that, that core of what they have. It's called marginal utility. So in this text we're seeing in verse 41, that the wealthy, they're giving, and they're giving generously, and they're giving in faithfulness to God, and that is to be honored. But let's just recognize they're typically giving, typically, from a way that doesn't affect what they're able to do 
and what they're able to eat. But when the poor then are called to live on, and you're, you're working, you're buying, taking food from what you just, or taking the money from your day's labor and then buying rice and going home and feeding your family, when that's your position and you're giving, that means you're, you're not eating. That's what it means. And this is where most of the world is. So, it, uh, what's going on here in the temple, when you're coming into the temple, they have, uh, you maybe take a ritual bath and come in, then you'll be in the outer court, the Gentile courts. There's, uh, uh D'Antonio Fortress right over here, and there's Herod and his, his political offices right over there, and it's kind of the court of the Gentiles that you're able to be in. And then there's the court of the women. And here is in this court that there would have been 13 different boxes. Not really boxes per se, but they're, they're kind of cone-shaped things, narrow at the top, wider at the bottom. And then there you could uh, go and make your payments for various things. So in the first two, it would have been that's where you pay your half-shekel uh, temple tax every, every year. Come, pay your temple tax. Third trumpet, they called it. Uh, is when you would make your deposit there if you, uh, God makes provision. If you're poor and you can't afford a ram or a sheep, you can offer a turtle dove. So then instead of actually going offering a turtle dove, uh, you can be a little more discreet, uh, if you would like, that you're actually offering a turtle dove and you could just place the money in here. They would take the money out at the end of the day and offer that many turtle doves accordingly. Same thing happened in, um, and, and this is where, this is where, um, this trumpet is where Mary and Joseph would have been placing their coins in. In Luke 2, when you see, Simeon takes Christ and he says, and it was arms and he blessed God. That's, this is, this is where it's all happening and here is Christ 30 some years later. And it goes on and on. You could you could put in these temples for wood or for incense or trumpet seven was for these golden vessels. Or if you're uh, if you're heavy hitter, then you go to trumpets over there. If you're poor, you're okay. You pay your temple tax, and then if you're poor, you're kind of over here offering your your pigeons and your doves. But if you come with a fat stack of cash, well then then your trumpets are over here, and you make your offerings. And if you want people to kind of see how much extra you have, then you go and offer over here. So just the visual of it you know wealthy people are over here, impoverished people are over here, everybody's going to try to do their best to pay the temple tax. So when Christ is with his disciples, he's calling them, and their attention is focused over here. In all of the commotion that's going on, their attention is over here, the guys with their fat stacks of cash putting him in. Let's go on though in verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small, small uh, copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciple to him and he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are uh, contributing to the offering box. Verse 44, for they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything that she had not has, everything that she had, past tense, all that she had to live on. So Christ is calling them. He's saying, ah, 
come, 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 look, look over here. Don't look over here where the wealthy people are donating. Look over here. Look at what's happening. And in the commotion of all of this, uh, they, they are missing it, but Christ is calling their attention and he's calling them, turn, turn away from the scribes. I know they make awesome prayers and they sound, they sound super religious and really holy and they try to look the part too. And not the wealthy, but look over here. I want you to see this over here where this poor widow is. See, I, I have all that I need. I have the cattle and a thousand hills. But I want devotion. And look over here and you will see it. You see what she put in. It was more than anything else. More than anything else. And the disciples, just like ourselves, we begin asking ourselves, how is that possible? How is that possible that she actually gave more? And this is God's kingdom. We shouldn't be surprised at all. Remember, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The humble will be exalted and the exalted, well, those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled. So we should not be surprised at all that she who gave the least, actually, in God's eyes, which is true reality, she's the one that gave the most. So I want you to see that it's not about the material offerings that she put in. It's not about the gold. It's not about the silver. It's not about the copper coins. But rather, it's the position the offering places us in. She's actively, this lady over here is actively putting herself in a position where she can go home and earnestly pray. Give us today our daily bread. With an earnestness in the dependence upon God that someone who's wealthy and over here that the world is going to see that they might not feel. So we remember our more, our, when we were talking about the margins, that the wealthy will give from, sometimes from their outer margins and the poor, they have this smaller margin to, to who they are and their necessities. What we see with this lady, this widow, is that she's not just giving up to, into the core of who she is. She's actually giving herself, all of herself. She's placing into that. And like all of the great acts of devotion, it goes unnoticed by everybody else. Completely unnoticed. Oh, it's just a widow. What is she going to do? Don't you know we need to buy cattle to sacrifice? We're not going to be able to buy anything with that. But no. It goes unnoticed by everyone except the eyes of our loving Lord. And there she has it. She has her toes on the edge of the cliff. And she's holding two coins. And nobody would falter. I mean, you put in one. Well, that's pretty astounding. You just gave half of what you have. And you have enough to buy a small piece of bread on the way home. No one would falter for that. Come on. Don't, don't be the, that radical. Don't do, don't do that much. 
And she has the two coins. And she puts them in. She jumps. So what we need to do, brothers and sisters, we need to reframe how we approach this text. We come to it and we see everything that she does not have. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have any social status. She doesn't have any money. She doesn't have any of that stuff. The whole lesson is about what she did have. That she had eternal faith in an eternal God. That's what all of this is about. And we miss it. We're just like the disciples. We miss it time and time again. Because we see what she doesn't have rather than what she does have. And so what do we do with this? One, you see that any gift, any gift is acceptable when it's done in faith. And you have to remember and remind yourself that it's not about the amount that you're putting in. That's not it at all. It's about the position that your giving puts you in. Are you still fine? Well, then give more. Jump in to where you are completely dependent upon God. So I want you to hear me clearly on this. This is not a plea for you to give in your last two cents. Hey, we got a building fund. No, that's not what it's about. It's, I, I wish it was that easy. This story is about so much more. This story is calling you to live not only with your finances, but with your whole life in such a way that your radical devotion to God can only be supported by His caring and His loving hand. That is what we are being invited into. When we think about someone giving all that they had, indeed, aren't we face to face with the gospel? That Christ gave all that He had for us. Second Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. So that you, by His poverty, might become rich. That's what this is about. That Christ is come, and though He was rich, He became poor, so that though we are poor, spiritually bankrupt, dead, we might become rich. Not rich in this world. This is the true prosperity gospel. That you become rich, and you become rich in Christ. If you die poor, beggar, fantastic. Who cares? You'd be lauded into the wretches of heaven forever and ever. So brothers and sisters, never, never settle for anything less than an action and a devotion to God that places you in such a position time and time again and again and again where the only way you can make it and the only way you can live is through a complete and full dependence upon God. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we are so incredibly humbled to be called your children. 
that we don't we don't deserve it, God, but you have come in all of your richness you have given. And your son came and he had no place to lay his head. Even the foxes whom you created and give the breath of life to God, they have a place. But your son, he had none. God, wean us from the beauties that can entrap our eyes and distract us from you. God, let us live lives that are completely, recklessly living out and abandoned towards you, God. Whether that's recklessly forgiving people, God, or recklessly sharing the gospel, or recklessly going and living in India. God, whatever it might be, Stir that up in our hearts because our hearts are dead apart from you, God. And give us the faith to take these next steps of complete devotion towards you. We pray this joyfully in your son's name. Amen. Amen.